into the arena at this time. If he can withstand just three minutes in the cage with Bonesaw McGraw, the sum of three thousand dollars will be paid to. What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider. That's it. That's the best you got. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about Spider-Man. And before we get started, be forewarned, this discussion will be chock full of spoilers for this movie and possibly any other Spider-Man movie in the series. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, if you know the story of a comic book that came out 50 years ago, you're not safe because we may spoil other things. Yes. We may we may tell you about... The sand guy that turns into sand. Tell you all about him. Or we might even spoil Ocean's Eleven again, like I did a couple episodes back. I I I really wish we were talking about the sand guy because that one scene where he goes where they go, something's in our our controlled site that we, we control and make sure that nothing goes wrong in so we can do our scientific experiments. And they're like, it's probably just a bird. Hell, we're we're working at midnight. Let's just run it. Yeah, why not? And you know what's funny? By part three with the Sandman, they actually tied him into this first movie. All right, all right. So let's. I, I, this is what I think we should do uh, right off the bat. Let's let's let everybody know. Last week we did Blade Trinity, and we talked about a little bit about Spider Man and the connection Spider Man has to wrestling. So we figured we'd go out and take care of this movie right now. And what I think we should do is give me a plot summary for this film, and then we'll talk about the second, third one, and then we'll then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of this film. Sure thing. Average teenager Peter Parker is transformed into an extraordinary superhero after he is accidentally bitten by a radioactive spider. When his beloved uncle is savagely murdered during a robbery, young Peter vows to use his powers to avenge his death. Deeming himself Spider-Man, he sets about ridding the streets of crime, bringing him into conflict with malevolent supervillain Green Goblin. Okay, so that's what happens in this one. What's the second one? Because I assume everybody listening has seen all of these, but you kind of jumble them together as one big movie. The second one has Doc Ock. Right, right. Spider-Man Alfred Molina. Yes, and and Spider-Man losing his smile, if you will. Yes, yes. (laughs) And his powers. And then he becomes like a real goof with a a Justin Bieber haircut, right? Or is that the third one? That's the third one. Yes, that's the third one. That's my point. That's exactly my point here. They blend together. So so number two is Doc Ock. And then what's number three? Number three is the the dual villains of Sandman, Venom, who has attached himself to Peter Parker. And we get a returning uh, Green Goblin who is um, played by... James Franco as the Green Goblin's son. I see. So in the second one, he gives up being Spider-Man for a while and they play raindrops are falling on my head. Or is that this one? I think that's the third one. I'm telling you, they they all jumble together. I have Mm. just watched all three of them again, and it really may make my, my point of view on this suffer. Yeah, that might have been that might be a problem. You you might be in Spider Man overload. <laughs> uh the the uh the interesting thing I remember about this movie was when they made the trailer, we saw it in theaters, it was amazing. You see Spider Man 
web get these guys basically you see guys go in and rob a bank or something they leave they get in a helicopter and the helicopter gets caught in a spider web between two buildings and then the september 11th attacks happen and that's when they said hey you know the two buildings in that are the world trade center which despite living not that far from new york i i didn't recognize them as that i wasn't they weren't buildings you know it was like the sears tower i recognized the empire state yeah. building i recognized obviously there's two of them so i mean that if i had to guess that's what i would have guessed but it didn't it didn't click with me that that's what i was looking at when i saw that trailer but then they pulled that trailer and damn that was a good trailer it was and it was one of those trailers that didn't contain footage that ended up in the actual movie it was shot and created specifically for the trailer which you think so i mean i i know there's some conspiracy theories on this people think that perhaps it was created to be a scene in the movie and then they just said hey we'll cut it out and we'll tell them we were never going to use it anyway yeah i mean it definitely feels like it could have been during that montage sequence where they show spider-man saving multiple crimes over yeah. the course of the of you know his first you know month or whatever in action yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's a really good trailer. There was also a poster um, that you could see the Twin Towers reflected in Spider-Man's eyes. Yeah. I was really, really excited for this movie when it was coming out. I remember there was a website, and I don't remember the, the URL anymore because it was 10 plus years ago. Yeah. But I remember going to that site, and they had a countdown clock. And the first time I went to that site, the countdown clock was at 700 days. Okay. <laughs> and I remember going back at various points and they had the first set photos and they actually had photographs from the wrestling scene in this movie, which oh. instantly made me feel pretty comfortable in the direction they were going. Yeah, the wrestling scene in this, everybody remembers Macho Man Randy Savage's Bone Saw, which Bone is why we're talking ready. about it. Which is why we're talking about it here. Uh, this movie came out May 3rd, 2002. And there are some shots that you can see the Twin Towers in the film. Okay. Uh, I believe you see them reflected in Spider-Man's, you know, not, not really eyes. They're like goggles at yeah. one point. And Sam Raimi, if I remember correctly, said that he didn't want to remove them because then the terrorists win. Which, you know, obviously no one wants the terrorists to win, but I, I don't think they were really concerned about Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. I think that might be putting a little more importance on Spider-Man. I don't think that that was the whole goal. Yeah, yeah. But and, uh, I mean, yeah, that, so and that was an overall theme right around this time because there were a ton of movies that featured the Twin Towers after they had after they had fell. Absolutely, it was a big problem for movies. I mean, anybody that's 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 considerably younger than us, you know, may not know this. At the time when that happened, you know, every movie that films New York, despite the fact that I didn't recognize them in the trailer for this, they were in every movie. I mean, whatever it was, that would be in the poster, that would be because it was an easy shot to get and it was instantly recognized. You see two of them, you're like, ah, twin, twin towers. That's that's New York City. And so every movie had them. And so for a time after this, you would go see movies and they'd be in it sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. they'd cut the movie in weird ways to avoid them. Other times there was a movie with uh, that Woody Allen did with Robin Williams and a bunch of other people. I think it was Celebrity. Either that or Deconstructing Harry. No, you know what? You're right. It's I believe it's Deconstructing Harry. But in this film, there's a shot where you can see the Twin Towers and they just blurred them. They're in the in the background and they just digitally blurred them so you barely can notice it. Oh, uh, wow. It was, it was a big thing at the time. Yeah. 
So they did like that WWE smear that they yeah, do they on did, the... Yeah, they did basically that. It was one of those things that I looked at it on home video because this was, this was before the, the big boom of, uh, of DVD. So my video store had, had this only on VHS, uh, because not, they had Spider-Man on DVD, but they didn't, they didn't get every Woody Allen film on DVD back then. And I checked it out on there and I couldn't really, couldn't really see it. But in the, in the theaters, when you see it on that gigantic screen, you can see it. Mm-hmm. So when this movie played on gigantic screens, it made a whole lot of money. Oh yeah. I mean, it's still one of the highest grossing superhero movies of all time. I have the numbers here, Craig. All right, let's see if I'm right. Basically, it made $400,403,706,375. Foreign, $418,002,176, which is totaled up for, can you add it together? Uh, It's got to be somewhere around 800-something million. Oh, come on. I thought you had the numbers in front of you. 821,708,551, which makes this the number four comic book adaptation of all time, the number four superhero adaptation of all time, just because Road to Perdition or whatever it was didn't make more money than this. Yes. Uh, it is the number one Spider-Man film of all time, the number two Marvel Comics film, the number 14 all-time film of all time domestically and worldwide, number 36. That, I mean, that's pretty impressive considering it's it's over 10 years ago at this point, and basically every movie that comes out now yeah, breaks a no, record. as the number one film of all time. But this was the number one film of 2002. So it was, it was, it was number one for that year. Yeah, I, I mean, this was really a, a huge, huge event. I remember the excitement level for this movie was huge. Yeah, yeah, it really was. This this is a movie, I was thinking about this. I've seen this movie a whole lot of times. I mean, really, probably like a dozen times. And I wouldn't even say if I did my top 50 films, I don't know that this would even be on it, but this was just such a big film that I remember I went back and saw it with other people because you had, you had family members that were like, I, w- I want to see that Spider-Man movie. You want to go see it again? And, and then, you know, when it came out on DVD, I remember buying it and then showing it to people. It was, this was, you know, a real big, big event. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, Spider-Man had, it had been so long since there had been a live-action Spider-Man, and it had been in development so long. There was a point in the 90s where James Cameron was developing it, and I, I think it was just the anticipation level was so was so high, and superhero films were just starting to get really hot at that same time, too. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned James Cameron. I've heard that parts of his script actually made it into this screenplay. Okay, that, yeah. You know, that the the uh, the screenplay that he had written got passed down and and eventually uh, David Coep or Kep, I'm not sure how how you want it pronounced. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, don't know how he likes it, but you know, that's that's really it's it's up to the individual, I think, to decide how to pronounce David Coep or David Kep's name. Yeah, and he is a uh, a force to be reckoned with. Oh. I think if people don't know his name, they're going to know the movies that he's been involved with because he's got a resume that is, I think, probably unparalleled in you know modern cinema. It's amazing. This He is the fifth most successful screenwriter of all time in terms of domestic box office receipts. Uh, he... 
he wrote Jurassic Park. He wrote Carlito's Way. He wrote The Shadow, which, you know, is another superhero film. He wrote Mission Impossible. He wrote Jurassic Park 2, Panic Room. He wrote War of the Worlds, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Wow, that's even worse than The Shadow. Uh, but he also wrote Angels and Demons. I mean, this is a guy who wrote a lot of big blockbusters. Yeah, and he actually was actually uh, had a movie out this summer that he directed uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It was the Bike Messenger movie, and I'm blanking Wait, on the is name it of it. Quicksilver? Did they did they remake Quicksilver? <laughs> it was Premium Rush. Okay. Now, I, the interesting they got the the you know the the top big budget box office guy to write it, but they didn't do the same thing with director. Yeah, very interesting choice in Sam Raimi, who was pretty much known for the Evil Dead films and had dabbled in uh, superhero movies with the original superhero film Darkman. Right. But coming off of this, it was sort of almost like when uh, Peter Jackson was attached to the Lord of the Rings films. You had a, a filmmaker who really hadn't been tested at big, big budget filmmaking yet. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get right into the to the meat of this film. Starts off, we see uh, we see Peter Parker, his best friend Harry, who's the rich one. We see Mary Jane, who's who's really pretty, mm. Kirsten Dunst, and we see this teacher who I really like. And this is one of the only films this guy's done. Yeah, you know what? When I watched this again, I I, I took note of that and I said it's it's amazing that I can't place this guy anywhere else because he was good. He had a great delivery and he 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 definitely made me believe that he was a teacher that was sort of tired of dealing with. High school kids. Yeah, he does like this lean in. He's like, am I going to have to separate you two? He's, you know, he's, he's really believable. I, I liked him. And he's also younger, which I think is right. A lot of times when they cast teachers, they're always like, well, let's make them 55 years old, which if you think back to high school, that's how you remember it. Yeah. But they really weren't. Your, your high school teachers were in their, you know, 20s and 30s and, you know, maybe 40s. But once they got to their 50s, they get tenure and they get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in the lab. We see that we see the super spider that actually looks like Spider-Man. Yeah, and this is where I really started to get into what they were doing. You know, you got the the red and blue spiders, and this is probably one of the most controversial uh changes they made with the you know, the established history or the canon if you will, in that after Peter gets bitten and gets his powers, he develops organic web shooters as opposed to handmade ones yeah yeah he 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 gets bitten by the spider she they're like there's 11 spiders in this cage and she's like well there's only 10 which I, and i was, was like how did she count so fast like wow could one be behind a rock or something you know it's just you know it seems seems a little odd but uh yeah he goes home he's like you know i don't feel good and then you know uncle ben and and uh what's what's the uh what's the grandmother's name aunt, 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 aunt may aunt may and uh uh, they're like, ah, you know, go, you know, go, go to bed. And he, he goes to bed and wakes up and he's all buff and has his, has his web shooters. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a good time to talk about sort of the effects in this movie because when he gets home and he's feeling sick, he takes off his shirt and they have a, a an effect shot that shows a real sickly looking Peter Parker and he's, he's not built. He looks maybe like he's sort of built like Jimmy Hart. Oh, I, to- yeah, I would have gone DJ Qualls, but Jimmy Hart yes. is a perfect wrestling comparison. Exactly. I assume Jimmy Hart would have been much hairier. That's just a guess. <laughs> yes. And then when he wakes up in the morning, he's got the normal, I got really fit for this movie, Tobey Maguire body. And watching the movie again, 
I mean, effects, you know, progress so fast nowadays, but there's no real point in that sequence where you see the digital seams, if you will, of Toby, Toby's head being stuck on DJ Quails' body. No, it's, it's very good. And I do want to say for any guy that watches this movie or any movie like this and they go, wow, if only I could look like this. I just want to tell you that in addition to having his own trainer and all that, mm-hmm. before that shot, you know, Toby McGuire gets down and does 50 push-ups every time <laughs> before they go, you know, roll them. Yeah, I always explain that to 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 family members when we talk about movies, you know, and I say, you know, if Matt Damon gets a call that in six weeks they're making another Bourne movie, he'll be ready for it in six weeks. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's his full time job. But I remember uh, the commentary track for Mystery Men. They were they were talking about how how Ben Stiller wanted the, they they sewed the sleeves of his shirt tighter to make his arms look bigger. And then he would he would drop and do push ups in between takes because you want to you know, it's going to be on film forever. And so just like this shot of Tobey Maguire, when you first see him, you say, wow, you know, that spider made him real buff. Yeah. So meanwhile, we've got uh, we've got Oscorp, where Norman Osborn is trying to to do some kind of military thing. He's got a glider with a with a weird green you know suit that a guy would have to wear. The military's like, ah, oh, we don't want to pay for this. And then eventually, he goes crazy and he kills his assistant and gets on the glider. Yeah, there was a need for successful human trials with their performance enhancing chemical vapor. And the government's not ready to move forward until they can show that they've had successful trials. So, of course, being the um, the great owner of the company that he is, you know, uh, Norman decides to experiment on himself. And, and so this will turn out to be his suit and his glider. Uh, his mask, though, he's got like a room at home with lots of like African masks. And I guess he styles, you know, this green mask after it. Yeah, this was one of the things that took me the longest to get used to with it because – the Green Goblin had a very different look in the comic books. He had sort of the, like the purple you know, cape and, and yeah, like the cloth, you know, kind of uniform look. And, and you would assume his face was real in the comic book. Exactly, exactly. And it's taken me quite a long time to sort of get on board with this and, and accept it and and see that it, it it the look of Green Goblin works for this movie. And there's a really cool stuff in the sense that. The eyes open, so there's points in the movies where you can actually see Willem Dafoe's eyes. And you like that? I, I did. I thought okay. it at least. I mean, I, and that's fair. To... I just, to me, that always looks odd to me. All the scenes where you can see through that mask just makes it even yeah. weirder. For me, it, it sort of made me feel like at least I knew that Willem Dafoe was in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. You know what? I'm down, I'm down with that. You, you've got a point. Usually when they do this, it could be anybody in there. So what's the point of getting a, an actor that's as, as well, you know, versed as William Dafoe, or I think it's Willem Dafoe, right? Willem Dafoe. Yes. Willem Dafoe. And he's so expressive that you can see in there. I hadn't really thought about that, but that is a very good point. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's probably a good time to talk about him. I mean, I think he is one of the main reasons that this movie works. There's a lot of reasons, but I think getting an actor of his caliber to play the villain here was kind of a, uh, I want to say, innovative choice. 
Yeah, no, I, I think it's, first of all, it's always a good time to talk about Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and yes, he's, he's creepy. I mean, he is yeah. really, really creepy. And this is a guy I've seen in a lot of movies, uh, but he, he really comes off as really weird and creepy in this film, which I also would give a little bit of a nod to Sam Raimi for that. I think that Sam Raimi knows how to direct creepy. Yeah, and there's a, a great sequence later in the film where we sort of learn that Norman Osborn has a split personality at this point. There's the Norman Osborn side of him, and then there's the Green Goblin side. And there's a scene where he's talking to himself in the in a mirror where he discovers that he's Green Goblin. And he's going back and forth between the scared Norman Osborn and the sort of angry, you know, rage-driven Green Goblin. And, you know, a lot of actors wouldn't be able to pull that off, at least without making you laugh at them. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I think you've got a very good point. Uh, we I actually a, met him. Well, I, I never heard I, this story. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it uh, when we were getting ready to record this. Probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, I went to go see Bob Dylan at Madison Square Garden. Okay. So after the show, I'm in Penn Station waiting for the train, and I'm in that one, you know, like the big concourse level where they have like Ben and Jerry's and all that. Where, where they also held a uh, – um... Uh, shotgun Saturday night one time. Yes, where <laughs> Triple H fought against The Undertaker and they entered by going down the escalator. Yeah, that is so great. And that is on YouTube because I, I know that's on YouTube because I've watched it within the last couple months. And yeah. if you haven't, you know, stop and, and watch it and then come back. So you're over there, you're you're near Hudson News, you're yeah. in that area, and what happens? And I see Willem Dafoe walking my way. And I said, you know what? It's It's midnight on a Saturday I don't think it's it's wrong of me to, to you know to go up and talk to him. So I you know I I went up to him. I said hi. I said I'm a big fan of your work. I really enjoyed what you did in Platoon. This was before Spider Man came out. And he thanked me and he, and he shook my hand. And uh, he just seemed like a really nice guy. And a lot of times you know it's you, you never want to sort of you know blow up somebody's spot when they're out in public. But in this case, it it seemed like uh, it was an okay okay time to do it. No, I think if you see Willem Dafoe, ladies and gentlemen, if you see him, you should bow down before him. I don't think uh, I, I don't think you should listen to Mr. Cohen on this one. You should make the biggest scene you can because he's Willem Dafoe. Damn it! He's yeah, you know it. what? Yeah, you know what? I, I almost regret now not getting his autograph and demanding a picture. That's right. You should have demanded a camera too, because this was before cell phone cameras. So you should have been like, "I need a camera." <laughs> you should have been like, you're Willem Dafoe, go in Hudson News and buy me one. If I was if I was you, though, I would have had my own cameraman with me because That's right. like when you met Iron Sheik, he kept <laughs> saying cameraman, uh, referring to me when yes. I was taking your picture. Because you were my cameraman. He wanted cameraman Zoom. I like the idea that Iron Sheik thinks that everybody has their own personal cameraman. Right. Yeah, Iron Sheik Iron Sheik's all about cameramen and I don't think anybody's ever explained to him the relationship that cameramen have to professional organizations. I think he just assumes that they're everywhere. Yes. Everyone with a camera. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we we do have wrestling coming up. Uh before that though we do get the really cool scene where he uh he's eating and he and he catches Mary Jane, catches a lot of food, fights with Flash, jumps yeah. from building to building, lots of really good stuff. Yeah. And the funniest thing here is everybody seems to give Peter a hard time for finally standing up to Flash. Yeah. I mean yeah. Mary Jane seems um seems taken aback by it. Flash's friend does. 
And then even Uncle Ben sort of says, you know, he probably deserved it, but it was wrong. Yeah, and there's a couple things that I find strange in this. Everybody, when he when he's dragging the tray by his web, <laughs> nobody seems to be bothered by that. Yeah, yeah. Well, even when he catches all the food after he catches Mary Jane. Yes, I, you know, that should blow everybody's mind. That's like some David Blaine type stuff. It is, it is. So then we get to, he, 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 uh, he goes out with Uncle Ben. This is a very important scene in the history of Spider-Man. Why don't you describe the whole scenario of what happens and then we'll break down the Macho Man part of it. Okay. So basically, Peter's decided that in order to win Mary Jane's heart, he needs to get a car because he he lives right next door to Mary Jane. Flash pulls up in a new car that was a graduation present, and Peter says, "This is this is my ticket to getting a girl. Is I need a car." So he sees an ad in the paper, and for three grand he can get a car. And then conveniently enough, he sees an ad for uh, last three minutes in the ring with a wrestler, and you get three grand. So he decides he's going to do this with his newfound powers, and he uses an excuse of going to the library, and Uncle Ben says. I'll drive you because at this point, Uncle Ben realizes that Peter's going through teenage stuff and needs sort of a father figure to talk to. And this is where Uncle Ben, you know, gives him the the great power. With great power comes great responsibility line. Peter does not respond well to this. And the last time he talks to Uncle Ben, it was, you know, with negative words. And that was – with great power comes great responsibility is one of the iconic Spider-Man lines <laughs> and not to bag on the new movie that came out, but it seemed like they went out of their way to take this out of the new movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this whole sequence plays very differently in that, but so what, what happens afterwards? He goes, he wrestles, yes. he wins. Uh-huh. And, and there's what a, happens? there's a, uh, he gets shortchanged because he, he only fought Bonesaw for a minute. So the promoter says, I'm going to give you $200 and you're lucky I'm giving you that. Somebody comes in to rob the gate and Peter has the opportunity to stop him and he does not. And sure enough, it turns out that later on that robber carjacks uh, Uncle Ben's 1970 <laughs> Impala or whatever yes. and shoots him. So indirectly, Peter is responsible for the death of his own uncle. Right. And so this... Uh... This happens in in the uh, the origin of Spider-Man, which I think is like Amazing Fantasy fifteen. Fifteen, very good. Yes. Uh, and in in that, uh, the guy he has a chance to stop him. In this, he just kind of he kind of sidesteps him. Yeah, and the promoter says he got away with my money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really go out of the way to make the promoter look like he deserved it. I mean, it's hard to fault Peter here. Yeah, it is. In the comic book, uh, and, and the, uh, the animated, the 60s animated series, he's like, I'm looking out for number one. It's yeah. like Spider-Man's line is something like that. He's like, I only look out for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so great. I wish they had included it. So, uh, so Uncle Ben gets killed and, and Peter's life goes on a downturn. Now, the exciting part though is in the middle of this, we get the big scene where he wrestles against Bonesaw played by Randy Macho Man Savage. Yes. And I'll tell you, when I was watching this again for the, whatever time it was, the 15th time, I said to myself, I cannot imagine anybody but Macho Man Randy Savage playing the role of Bonesaw. 
Savage had such a great voice. He had such a presence. He he was physically imposing despite not being gigantic, although he's bigger in this movie than he was during a lot of his career. He was more juiced up at this point in his life than he was during at least during his WWE run. Oh, yeah. He was jacked here. And he he works very well in this because he's comical, but not not to the point that he's ridiculous. You know, you yeah. you buy it and you, it's hard to buy because what they're selling us is that pro wrestling is real. Yes. He's going, this isn't a tough man competition. This is a wrestling match and they bring down the cage, which helps, you know, Peter Parker uh, or the, uh, the human spider. The human spider. <laughs> uh, Macho man, Randy Savage born Randy Mario Poffo. And, and his father was a legendary wrestler, Angelo Poffo, his brother, Less legendary, the genius uh, Lanny Poffo, and well, he is it, kind of legendary. <laughs> he's he's got uh, he's got his moments. He's got he's got his moments. The genius, uh, also frisbee throwing, leaping Lanny Poffo, and uh, Macho Man. He held twenty different championships during his wrestling career. He's one of those guys that everybody knows. Yeah, that and. You, you mention wrestling to somebody, you say, name five wrestlers, they're going to name him, you know, right after Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I mean, he held the WWF championship in a time when Hulk Hogan was active with the company, which I think says a lot. Yeah, they, they thought he would be the next Hulk Hogan. And uh, I don't think that the numbers turned out to work as well, but at least they had, you know, a number two guy now with him. Yeah, uh, he did hold it mania to mania, though, didn't he? Yeah, he, he yeah. won it in the tournament and then lost it when the Mega Powers exploded at WrestleMania Five With that tremendous one-year build. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, it, <laughs> it, it is a one-year build. But there, there, was, uh, there was some ups and downs. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, there was Hulk Hogan patting Miss Elizabeth on the rump. There was the whole, uh, uh, the whole scene where, where she got knocked out at ringside and no one could save her but Randy's tag team partner and leave Randy alone in the ring. And, you know, there's, there's some fantastic moments in that feud. But so, yeah, he held the WWF title twice, the WCW title four times. He, he also won the ICW championship, the USWA championship. He was a guy that when he came to WWE, he was a big time wrestling star outside. You know, if you picked up, you know, PW uh, Illustrated or, you know, any of the other, you know, wrestling magazines, he was all over it. I mean, this was a guy that was a big star at the at the dawn of, you know, the big time wrestling era, you know, that took place right after WrestleMania 2. Yeah, and you could almost say, and a lot of people have said it, that his WWF Intercontinental reign sort of took that title to a, a level it hadn't it hadn't previously been at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I want to point out, in 2003, he put out a rap album. And I remember very specifically seeing the trailer for this. They played it in a movie theater as, you know, they do commercials, you know, before the trailers. And they played it, and you see Macho Man singing. And he's like, you know, he's, be a man. You know, he's singing, he's singing these songs. And I just kept waiting for it to be like this, where he's going, be a man, be a man. And then the voice go, not buying it, try a Snickers or something. I totally yes. expected that this was not a real commercial or like the Energizer Bunny would come through or something would happen because there was no way that this was real, you know, that this album existed. But it did. He put out a put out an album called Be a Man. Yes, and he seemed to have a real-life beef with Hogan. He did. Hogan has talked about it, and essentially Hogan believed that uh, 
that what Hogan believes is that Randy believed that Hogan had had an affair with Elizabeth. Um, and that drove him nuts even long after he didn't care for Elizabeth anymore. He was just, uh, he was that kind of a guy. I don't know, but I do know the lyrics of be a man had this, this line in it. They call you Hollywood. Don't make me laugh because your movies and your acting skills are both trash. Your movie straight to video. The box office can't stand while I got myself a feature role in Spider-Man. You know, there's nothing there that that doesn't ring true. <laughs> it's true. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it is true that he's got a big role in a movie that is bigger than all of Hogan's films, with the exception of Rocky three. You know, if you adjust for inflation, that might top it. But this movie did not sell tickets solely because of Macho Man's presence. There's got to be at least one person out there that went to go see this because of Macho Man. <laughs> now, it, this is something we talked about a little bit on the Blade Trinity episode, and now we can really get into this. Uh, the character in the comic book is called Crusher Hogan. Amazing. It, which is bizarre. And I, I've never understood whether Hulk Hogan stole that, uh, you know, said, well, the wrestling character from Spider-Man, and then I'll put Hulk in it like Incredible Hulk. I, I've never found any information. I tried to Google to find it and really couldn't. But Crusher Hogan was the was the character, wasn't Bonesaw. And yeah. Hulk Hogan is a character in Gunsmoke Western number 63, which is a Stan Lee, Jack Kirby comic from March of 1961. There's a there's a cowboy, you know, villain named Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it's it's just amazing because Hulk Hogan's become such an iconic, you know, name that it's it's just really weird to see it attached to anything else. Yeah. So Uncle Ben dies, but yet he's all over the rest of these films. Yeah, I Uncle Ben is an important part of the Spider-Man legacy and I got I think we should talk about the casting here because they nailed a lot of the casting in this movie, and Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben was note-perfect casting, in my opinion, as well as J. Jonah Jameson, who comes later. Go ahead. Tell me all about Cliff Robertson. I know you're, you're a fan. I am a big Cliff, uh, Cliff Robertson mark, if you will. Yes. He uh, was an American actor, and he had a... Because he's a, passed away. Yeah, he died back in September 2011. He had a career in television and film that lasted over half a century. He portrayed a young John F. Kennedy in the 1963 film PT-109, a role that John Kennedy himself, President Kennedy, selected Robertson for. He also won... I, I totally thought you were going to say audition for and didn't get. <laughs> Era. <laughs> he won the 1968 Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in the movie Charlie. Yes, and he was John also Kennedy had nothing to do with if I remember. No. <laughs> and he was also discovered in a late 70s uh scandal that nearly destroyed a Hollywood studio. Well, now this I got to hear more about. Tell me all about this. So back in 1977, Robertson discovered that his signature had been forged on a $10,000 check that was made payable to him, although he hadn't done any of the work that it was credited as being for. He eventually learned that the forgery had been carried out by Columbia Pictures head David Begelman, and on reporting it, he inadvertently triggered one of the biggest Hollywood scandals of the 70s. As a, as a result of Robertson's whistleblowing, uh, Begelman was charged with embezzlement. The head of a studio <laughs> who was embezzling $10,000, which is, <laughs> you know, kind of mind blowing. 
He was later fired from Columbia, and Robertson was blacklisted for years. He didn't recover until getting a role in Brainstorm in 1983. And the story of the scandal was actually even told in a book uh, called Indecent Exposure in 1982. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always cool to see these sort of stand-up guys who don't, you know, um, they do the right thing and they suffer for it, but are eventually sort of vindicated. Let's uh, let's talk about the reboot, the Amazing Spider-Man uh, that came out this this past summer, and I'm assuming the next reboot will be in about three years, and hopefully we'll still be doing the show. We can talk about that one. Yeah, because uh, you know, there's always you know you got to get rid of the old and busted Spider-Man and get the new hotness in there. That's right. There's you know there's some twelve year olds like they did an old Spider-Man like in the in the early two thousands, and they're like, whoa, it's like yeah. ancient. You know, you know, there's like kids that watch that movie and they're like, look at their hair and their cell phones. And oh, my God, where's their iPads? They don't even have them. Yeah, you, you, it just can't be watched. And the actual wrestling related scene in the, in, the, in this reboot is is actually one of the cooler sequences in the movie. Even though he doesn't do any actual wrestling, yeah. there is luchador inspired stuff going on, which was kind of cool to see. I I was I, I was all at once excited and then disappointed by this. Uh, he's in a he, he's running. He falls through like the the roof of a of a building and falls into a wrestling ring. Looks over, see a sees a luchador mask, and that's kind of kind of looks like the Spider Man mask, and he gets the idea to do that. You know, to wear a mask and, you know, to save, you know, people. And, and that's how they tie it in. But I don't know. I was I expected at that point that we were going to see some luchadors later. Yeah, I really think that with this reboot, they went completely out of their way or they, they wanted to make sure that nobody thought that they were riffing on something that was already done in a previous Spider-Man movie. But in my opinion, it's too iconic of a of an origin to mess with. Well, now here's what I want to talk about. In the reboot, how does this sequence play? <laughs> He's at a grocery store buying a soda or something, right? Yeah, he wants to buy a soda. The clerk is rude to him. The clerk's like, I won't sell you a soda. I want to watch soccer on TV or something crazy. And then there's a robbery. Yeah, and, and the robber's he... like, here, you take a soda. And yeah, he's so like, thanks. And he Peter, yeah. Peter's like, I'm down with it, and he lets him go. But that's all he does. I mean, what is he supposed to do? I think the guy even has a gun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, you look, this is a lot different than the other scenario where he could stop the guy from getting in the elevator for a half a second and then hide. You Mm -hmm. know, this is, I don't know where, I don't know where Peter's in the wrong at all on this one. Yeah, yeah. So then Uncle Ben decides to be a complete buffoon. I, I, I'm drawing a, a blank on, on what Uncle exactly ben happened. sees the guy running and is like, you stop. And then all of a sudden, Martin Sheen's like running after the guy and like trying to wrestle the guy to the ground. And the guy finally shoots Martin Sheen. Yeah. Oof. I mean, how crazy is that? How crazy is all of that? It's, pr- it's pretty crazy. It's pretty and crazy. And we Abraham also... Lincoln's wife has to raise Spider-Man at that point. Yes. And we don't even get the iconic... With great power comes great responsibility. Ben sort of skirts around saying it. He says it, but in a much more long-winded fashion, which just seemed like, just let him say it. I mean, it's goodness. It's so important. I remember I bought some Spider-Man gummy candy after this movie came out. And it, uh, it was, 
it was shaped like a Spider-Man web and it was blue and, and red. And it said on the package with every bite comes great power and great responsibility. And so I never ate it because I didn't need that. I, really, I don't blame you. That's a lot for a candy to ask of me, I think. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get back to the movie. So so after this, we get like this World's Fair. We get to see Macy Gray. <laughs> yes, there's a big parade with with giant inflatable balloons in, in, the, in Times Square. Yeah, but it's, it's the World Unity Fair. Yes, and this is where the Green Goblin makes his, his debut appearance for the public. He's looking for revenge against the, the, the board members of Oscorp and the, uh, you know, that, that sort of, you know, shut him out. And this is also where we get Stan, Stan Lee's cameo. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, he, he ducks out of the debris and then he takes this little girl to safety. It's a pretty good cameo as far as Stan Lee cameos go. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's obvious enough that, you know, it's Stan Lee. He doesn't have any dialogue, but it definitely fits. We get uh, the Thanksgiving scene not long after this where, where God, the Osbournes are jerks. You just yeah. wouldn't want to invite – I'd rather invite the Ozzy Osbourne family to my house than yeah. these two. Yeah. Norman at least has an excuse because he's crazy because he's the Green Goblin, whereas James Franco's uh, Harry just doesn't have a reason to be a jerk. There's also some really weird moments like when he's when, – when Norman has the uh, knife – and Aunt May's like, you know, stop where we have to say grace or something. And he, you know, gets real weird and looks crazy at her. Yeah. Well, he goes to, with his bare hands, he goes to dig into the, I guess, the, um, the, the candied yams. Oh, yeah. And she take, a, you know, take a taste. Them. Yeah. And she's, and you know. So he grabs least... a knife, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. She, she charges him with carving the turkey. That's right. That's right. Uh, so then she goes, she ends up, uh, getting attacked by Green Goblin in what may be the, the silliest scene in this entire series. Yeah. So real quick, Green Goblin or, or during the Thanksgiving dinner, uh, Norman notices a cut on Peter's arm. Right. Just prior to this. Down to the floor and he can hear it with his sonic Green Goblin hearing. And then when they're sitting at the table, he's like, where'd you get cut? He's like, I don't know. Fell off my skateboard or something. Bike messenger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so Norman knows. He's like, who's... he's like, oh my god, it was the you know the kid from Roseanne in that new movie directed by Sam Raimi. Yes. So at this point, Norman knows who Spider Man is, and he realizes the best way to get to Spider Man is through his loved ones. Ah. So we have Aunt May uh, saying a prayer before she goes <laughs> to bed, <laughs> and the Green Goblin takes out a side of the house. Yes. And then he goes, and then he's like, finish it. <laughs> I guess she's she's... deliver, deliver, deliver us from evil. And I couldn't help but think of Ryback when he says finish it. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. That scene is crazy. That scene is that scene is so funny. I I can't get enough of that. Yeah. You know, somebody thought that was really damn clever. (laughs) somebody somebody involved in this production was like oh and she'll be praying and she'll get to the deliver us from evil part and then evil will show up and then make her say it yeah i i I, I almost bet you that after this scene they had some more scenes to shoot that day and they said you know what we're just taking the rest of the day off here 
<laughs> we nailed it. I bet you it's one of those things that every time, you know, like she's uh, she's out someplace, people will be like, could you could you say it? She's like, from evil. And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. She's still got it. <laughs> is she still around? I think she is. I mean, she I was in off that she she passed away. So I, I, I'm assuming she's still here. So why don't you tell me what happens next? That I'm going to check on the on the health and whereabouts of of Aunt Meg. All right. So Green Goblin, his only sort of plans now that he's, he's sort of destroyed the, the the board members of Oscorp and the the generals that were involved with the government contract. The only thing he seems really to want to do is to buddy, become best friends with with Spider-Man. He somehow thinks that him and Spider-Man can just pal around and do evil stuff. Spider-Man, of course, is an upstanding individual and turns him down. He shuns him. And this is basically the driving plot of the movie. Uh, Green Goblin has no sinister agenda here except to create mayhem. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, May, by the way, still, still kicking. She's still around. I actually made a film in 2012. So she's, uh, she's still working. Um, by the way, there is a crazy, crazy amount of information on the Aunt May character online. She has her own Wikipedia page that is far bigger than Steven Spielberg's. Sure. Well, there's 50 years worth of comics continuity to go through. Crazy here. I think there's <laughs> recipes on this page. I mean, it's just, it's like everything toys. There was a, there was a mail-in toy. Of her that had fuzzy slippers. All right, I'm I'm closing this. I can't I can't read any more about it. All right, so yeah, the Green Goblin. All he wants to do is tear things up. Yes. So he, he eventually he doesn't seem to have a real goal. He's got no. a little bit of revenge in mind. Yeah, but he's not. You know, he's not planning to destroy the city or or anything like that. He just wants to be Spider Man's friend. Okay. So he he, has he a makes chat with him. Yeah, and then he he ultimately kidnaps Mary Jane. And a tram car full of children who are taking a tram uh, across or near the Queensboro Bridge. Yeah, and it's and, I think it's to Roosevelt Island, and I've talked about this before. I believe this is a dollar. I believe it's a dollar to take the tram to Roosevelt Island. Yeah, we talked about it on the Twelve Rounds episode. That's right, but I've never I've never looked it up. So if anybody goes over there with only a dollar in your pocket, you may you may find that I was completely wrong. Yeah, we cannot be held responsible for you being stranded on Roosevelt Island without money to get back or uh, not being able to get there. So then he makes Spider-Man make this really, really great choice. He's he's holding Mary Jane off one end of the bridge, and he's sort of holding the disconnected tram car in his other hand. And he says, I'm going to let them both go unless you choose which one lives. And he says, I'm making you make an impossible choice. And this is why heroes are not – being a hero is not a good idea. That is right, because every everybody around you gets gets in trouble. Yeah. So of course, Peter real or Spider Man realizes that he can save them both, and then we get the uh, the scene that plays, I think, in all three of the, the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies, where the citizens of New York get involved in helping Spider Man. Now, I think, by the way, I'm reading here, it is two dollars and fifty cents, but it may be a buck and a quarter just to go one way. So. I'm pretty close with a dollar. I'm going to say it's that. Still, it's a great bargain. It's a bargain. You can ride on the tram from Spider-Man. Yeah. Now, one thing is, it's pretty late at night here. I think Mary Jane is in, like, her pajamas. Yeah. So what was this tram full of kids? <laughs> yeah, where are they going? Where were they going this late at night? And then also, 
I, I guess, you know, all the citizens, the concerned citizens that show up are people that were crossing the bridge in their cars and decide to get out because there is a huge fight going on. Yeah. I will say, I think this part, and I don't know if it was rewritten and reshot, but this definitely feels like it's reshot after September 11th with New York rallying, you know, uh, to fight against the enemy. That's, yeah. that's really what I felt like when I was watching this, that this was some kind of parallel to the terrible events of September 11th, 2001, where New York was, was attacked. And here, you know, in at least this make believe world, New York's rising up against a smaller villain, but a, a villain nonetheless and, and, and striking him down. Yeah. No, definitely. So, uh, so he grabs Spider-Man. He, uh, he, he goes into an uh, abandoned building. Um, he, he ends up taking his mask off and, and begs Spider-Man for forgiveness. Yeah, he does like the sort of, I guess, the classic heel, maybe Ric Flair. You know, I'm down on my knees. You, you, you've beaten me. Show mercy. And I think it's really interesting here because you're not entirely sure if it's, if it's Norman or if it's the Green Goblin character or if they're finally working in cahoots. You know, he's finally, you know, sort of come to terms with his dual identity and basically, he's pleading to Spider-Man, but at the same time, he's sort of got his remote-controlled glider, and he's going to impale Parker in the back with it. Of course, yeah. Spider-Man's got the, the spider sense, and he ducks out of the way, and Green Goblin ends up impaling himself. And then later, after Harry goes crazy, <laughs> the butler goes, Sir, I wanted to tell you that I dressed his wounds. They were self-inflicted. Only yes. his glider could have killed him, and he must have done it. I probably should have told you this before you went totally crazy. I should have told you this two movies ago. Wouldn't it have made sense for me to tell you the next morning? Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, Spider-Man takes him home, right? And yeah, lays he lays him on, him the, on the couch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so then, you know, this uh, this leads to the, the funeral, Mm -hmm. And we see, uh, we see, you know, um, uh, she's like, Hey, I want to, I want to bone you. Yeah. And Mary Jane finally says, you know, when I was up on that bridge, I was only thinking about, movie. Yeah. yes, it was on, I think it's on the DVD box. on the <laughs> right, <back>. yes. <laughs> she, so says, she, I, say? she says, I was only thinking about one person when my life was on the line up on that bridge. It wasn't Spider-Man. It wasn't Harry. It was you, Peter. And right. you know what? Spider-Man kissed her upside you. down in the rain. We we should mention that it's a very iconic scene. She did have a bit of a relationship with Spider-Man throughout this, as well as the relationship with Peter. Yes. And so, what happens? So Peter, being the realizing that with great power comes great responsibility, he says to Mary Jane, "I can only be your friend. That's all I can offer you." She's in tears. He turns around. He walks towards the camera with a voiceover, and we have an incredibly powerful end scene for a movie that really gets you excited about the character of Spider-Man and the further adventures that would come. Now, here's one thing. She does that <gasps> where she, like, holds her mouth, you know. She and we kisses all... him, yes. Yeah, no, no, but she, she then, after he leaves, she, yeah. she has this moment where you feel, oh, I think she just realized yes. he's Spider-Man. But yes. then she doesn't figure it out for another two movies. Yes. And then also, while we're talking about this, at no point does Peter Parker realize that Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin until he reveals himself, where even though Norman's not using a different voice when he's the Green Goblin, and you'd even think that Peter would be, when putting the pieces together, trying to figure out how the Goblin knew who he was, he would have said, you know what? Maybe it is Norman because he was acting kind of strange at Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, no, no, very true. Um, so anyway, Randy Savage, fantastic in this film. He passed away in 2000, I think May of 2011. Uh, and really this is one of his most memorable things is, is this movie. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You know, they're, they're starting to announce names for the WWE Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. uh, this spring. And you almost wonder if this is going to be the year that Savage gets in. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. Now, um, they they do re-retcon in this series. They retcon the sequence with, and I don't know if retcon's the right word. I I'm, I have trouble with all this all this internet lingo uh, because retcon I'm sure existed before the internet, but I never heard it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but I, I have trouble with 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 uh, knowing exactly what to call this. But they basically later are like, ah, oh, you know what? That guy had nothing to do with Uncle Ben's death, and the whole thing was a sham. Yeah, he was working in cahoots with with the Sandman, and yeah, that was one of the biggest problems I had with Part Three is they tried to tie it into Part One. Yeah, and it just didn't work for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's talk about what was going on in wrestling at this time. Judgment Day 2002 took place on May 19th, which is uh, 16 days after Spider-Man came out. And uh, this is a pretty cool-looking event with the main event of Hulk Hogan versus The Undertaker. Yes, and the, uh, the um, Hulk Hogan was champ at this point. Yeah, and uh, in, and also on this card, you got Rikishi and Rico against Billy and Chuck. Remember that? I mean, that's yeah, an is, era. Is this when they were doing the tag team for life gimmick? Yeah, this- yeah, when they had and they had their ceremony and everything. Yes. Uh, Triple H against Chris Jericho in a Hell in a Cell match. This uh, and up until a few years ago, when they did a Hell in a Cell pay per view, there weren't that many matches that were Hell in a Cell. So this is one of the one of the few at this time. That was a big deal. Triple H against uh, Chris Jericho. Triple H won. And, yeah, and uh, it's a, a twenty five minute match. And you know what? I I do not have recollections of this match. I think it's going to be one I want to dig oh, up yeah. and watch because it. You know, I mean, with those two performers, it sounds like they might have turned into a really really good match. It's the longest match on the card. Yeah, there is there are some good good matches on this card. You've got Stone Cold Steve Austin beating the Big Show and Ric Flair in a handicap match. You've got. Uh, Edge versus Chris Angle in, in, in the hair versus hair match, which everybody remembers the great outcome of Kurt Angle wearing the, the wig with the, with the uh, headgear over it afterwards. So this is, uh, this is a pretty fun card. Definitely one that, that's worth taking another look at. And also had Brock Lesnar on the card as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have something I found from IMDB that uh, I think is worth, worth reading. Okay. <laughs> A poster by the name of Captain Kangaroo Pimp on August 6, 2011, so this was shortly before Macho Man passed away, po- posted the human spider, question mark, which, you know, again, is the name that Peter Parker comes up with. You know, it's you would think Spider-Man would be his first choice, but he went with human spider. And he says, it's a good thing Peter wasn't bitten by a radioactive centipede. <laughs> Just let you think about that for a while. Yes. All right. And uh, then there was a response to it from somebody that didn't think about it. And uh, this guy was Green Goblin's Ock Venom 86. And he wrote, yeah, I don't know why they didn't just have Peter come up with the name Spider-Man. Hey, who said that 10 seconds ago? (laughs) The human spider sounds stupid. So there you go. Well, I think this part's a foregone conclusion. But, Craig, do you tap out to Spider-Man? I will just 
flatly answer right off the bat without any explanation. No, I do not tap to Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say obviously the same thing. Uh, like I was saying before, this isn't one of my favorite films of all time, but I've seen it a bunch of times and I can sit through it at any time. It is really easy to watch and it's a lot of fun. And Randy Savage is absolutely awesome in this. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that in terms of the importance of superhero movies, I would rank this with Superman the Motion Picture, Batman 1989, and this film and X-Men, I think, are four of the probably most important superhero films. And uh, for that reason alone, I think this film will always be sort of held in a, in a high regard. Oh, very cool. What do, what do you think the future is? We kind of joked about it, but for the Spider-Man franchise, do you think it's a reboot or do we get a sequel? I think they're actually filming a sequel or getting ready to film a sequel or a direct sequel to the last, uh, the, you know, this past summer Spider-Man movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, with the with the same cast returning, you know, um, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and and do you think do you think within uh, within our lifetime we get a we get another reboot and we get to see a new wrestler take on Spider-Man? I, I would think so. I mean, I assume they'll probably do another three films, or, or they'll do three films total with this new Spider-Man. Um, at that point, we'll be, you know, nine years in the future or whatever, and Fox will decide that Andrew Garfield's no longer, um, you know, lo- no longer bankable as Peter Parker, or he'll, he's too expensive to be Peter Parker, yes, and yes. they'll decide that, you know, it's the, the, you know, the audience needs a fresh look at Spider-Man. And at, at, at that point, I think we'll probably have a filmmaker that maybe grew up <laughs> admiring the Spider-Man from, yes. uh, from the That's early right. 2000s, yeah. and will want to sort of pay homage to that. I wonder if there's a chance that they throw the wrestling sequence in the next film. You know, I mean, if they're, you know, they didn't really use it in the last one. Maybe it's something that, you know, they somehow, you know, include maybe the idea of just uh, of him. You know, he gets he ha- he loses his suit and has to go has to yeah. go make some money or something. Well, exactly. And I mean, I can understand him sort of feel feeling bad that wrestling was sort of indirectly responsible for Uncle Ben's death. But it seems like it would be an easy way for him to make money. You'd think there's probably other promoters out there that who aren't as shady as the one that he encounters here. And it almost seems like he could have made a legitimate living. Why wasn't a, this a, like the Santo films? Why wasn't this like Santo and Blue Demon where they go out and fight crime and then they wrestle at night? Yeah. I. How oh, well. Alternate uh, universe. All right, Craig. Well, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's always fun. And thank you to you for listening, and we will see you next time here on Camel Clutch Cinema. They call you Hollywood. Don't make me laugh, because your movies and your acting skills are both crap. Your movies straight the video, the box office can't stand. While I got myself a feature role in Spider-Man. You hide from man, but when I find you a thought, and when I slam it through the door, you wish you was never born. I smell a coward. Is that you, Hogan? What? My dude's gonna kick your butt as a slug. If he makes it to the elevator, he'll get away. What's with you, mister? All you had to do was trip him or hold him just for a minute. That's your problem, not mine. Sorry, pal, I'm through being pushed around. From now on, I look out for number one, and that means me.